Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. All righty. Well, if you like to take notes, and even if you don't, go ahead and write this down this morning as a, a title. Each week we're looking at a different kind of focus of these different individuals' faith. We get a different character, and we zero in on a, on a different verb that the passage gives us about their faith. We're learning about all the different ways that faith can be displayed. And here in Hebrews 11, I, I, I like this one, by faith Moses chose God. Uh, this is a helpful one because, listen, one of the most practical ways that you can exercise your faith is in everyday choices. One of the most practical ways that you can exercise your faith in God is not just in the big moments of life, but it's in the mundane, simple, everyday opportunities and choices of life. And we see Moses as a model of that. Moses models a faith that chooses God. Moses chose God by faith. That's what it says there in verse 25. That's the key word that I felt the Lord highlighting. He chose some things about the Lord. I want you to, uh, I want to begin kind of as a, a callback to maybe a more consistent preaching style. I used to start almost every sermon uh, with a question. And you don't have to generate an answer at this immediate moment, but I want you to begin to think about this question, and maybe you can ponder it throughout the rest of your week. But just to kind of get that fun started, I want you to ask yourself this question. Which choices have most impacted your life today? I know that could take weeks to ponder, but just begin to, to generate some thoughts around that. Which choices, whether your own or someone else's, and maybe it's helpful to zero it in even on your own, but which choices have most impacted your life today? Uh, this question implies a principle. <laughs> that principle is that life is full of choices. Life is full of, of choices. We all know this. You have a certain outfit on today because life is full of choices. Um, sometimes my wife and I take a little longer to get out the door to our dinner plans because life is full of choices, and she's got many outfits there to pick from. Uh, let's kind of go through this. Life is full of big and small choices. You know, maybe this is something relevant to where you're at right now or, or sometime recently. I don't know if, if you've had this, but uh, this year I wonder, have you had to make any big choices? Where do I work? Who should I marry? What school do I attend? What do I do with this relationship? I mean, life is filled with some really big, heavy choices. Life is also filled with some small choices, you know, everyday choices, like which road should I take? Again, what, what shirt should I put on? Big choices, small choices. Life is filled with easy choices. Life is filled with hard choices. Uh, just last night, you know, I was... Um, working on my sermon at the house, it was getting later, and they just recently, after I think about 6,000 years, paved the streets in my neighborhood. It feels like the roads of Rome in there sometimes, and as you know, my son and I were skateboarders. It presents some problems for us. We have a cobblestone drive driveway. We have an ancient Roman road in front of our house with wheel bite galore everywhere you go. We all know what wheel bite is, right? Okay. Um, they recently paved the streets, so it's like the best Christmas present Judah could have gotten this year was construction workers 
burning tar in front of our house all day long. Um, the best was I just put up like my Christmas lights. I kind of went a little all out this year, you know, a little, little extra, which is not much probably. Um, but, and I came home the other day and I, I was like excited to make the turn. There's a, and you see the house and they parked a giant cement truck in front of my house. So it's like, look at my, there's a cement truck. Never mind, don't look at my lights. So, but anyway, last night, easy choice. Here's the easy choice I'm trying to get at. Sorry for the rabbit trail. Judah, I'm suddenly goes, Dad, let's go for a night skate. That's what he says yesterday. It's his favorite thing to do. The girls are, are crashing. Judah says, I got time with Dad. Let's go cruise the new streets. And it was wonderful, nice and smooth. Easy choice. Easy choice, no question. Now, life is also filled with not so easy choices, especially this also depends on how decisive or indecisive you may be. Um, I like to think I'm a growingly decisive person. Depends what it is. I can really struggle when I have options. Anybody else? Like, ah, FOMO, right? Like the fear of, of, of missing out. That's kind of more heart choices. I just want to show you a picture that represents my anxiety in this world, okay? Oh, my goodness. What? What do I do? Lord, give me wisdom, okay? <laughs> Difficult. Easy choices. Hard choices. Uh, maybe this is a version of what you have with Netflix or try to pick a movie. You ever been there? It just takes hours to settle. So big choices, small choices, easy choices, hard choices. Uh, let's kind of think a little harder about this. Life is filled with good choices, and life is filled with bad choices. Life is filled with things that we that we virtuously respond to and we accurately and appropriately respond to. And then life is filled with mistakes and, and wrong choices. And this kind of plays into the next kind of choices. Life is filled with forgotten choices. And life is filled with remembered choices. There's choices that you made this week that you have already forgotten about, yet there are choices that maybe you have made a decade ago that are in some ways, unforgettable. There's a journey there with the Lord, learning forgiveness, learning to press on. But again, life is full of choices. We can even say this. Life is so full of choices that you could say that life is even all about choices. I want you to think about this. Life is not just full of choices, but it's so full of choices that really life is the result of your choices. That kind of harkens back to the question I asked in the beginning. I like this quote by John Maxwell. John Maxwell says, life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. We are shaped by our choices. Our choices have, have consequences to them, both positive and negative. Now, uh, someone might interrupt me here in this moment and say, hold on, Andrew, what about the sovereignty of God? Let's talk about that. Life is filled with choices, but, but is, is my life nothing more than the product of my own choices? And the good news of God is no. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that, that the Lord who we serve, the Lord who created us, he is, as revealed in Scripture, he is sovereign. Uh, the, the God revealed in, in the Bible is not detached from the affairs of man and from the workings of history, but the Bible describes a God, a creator, who is intricately involved in all the affairs of our lives, even our own choices. So much so that when the disciples, after a few years of following Jesus, are, are, are looking at Jesus, and he looks at them and he says, you didn't even choose me. <laughs> he says, I chose you. You might think that this is all about the sovereign self, but I'm involved in this as well. There's this great mystery here. 
God is, the Bible says, working all things, your life. God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. Crazy to kind of ponder that. Think about that. God's own choices. God's own will at work in the world and in your life. The Bible even teaches that without this work of God, we could never even choose God in the first place. The only way that we can choose God is if God softens our hearts, if he revives our dead will, if he draws us to himself. So, so cert- this is certainly true. Life is all about choices, but God is sovereign. Yet in the same time, God is also revealed in Scripture as a creator. A creator who makes man in his image, distinct, unique, out of all creation, and he puts within humanity the capacity to choose. A self-determinant being, like the God who created them. Some scholars and theologians of history have speculated that this was because the ultimate ethic, the ultimate value that God sees in the world, in himself, is love. And and you can't have love without a choice, right? So God's going to create man. He's not going to create robotic, choiceless beings, droids. He's going to give them a choice. And we see that from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, they had a choice which gave them an opportunity to experience the highest value, which is love, to love God. We see this revealed in Scripture in a lot of different ways, this idea of our capacity to choose. I I want you to see one of the most famous, Joshua 24, right? Joshua has led the people of Israel into the promised land. They're at a point, they're at a a crux moment here where it's either God or not. We either serve him and love him or we compromise and we follow after the idols of our ancestors or the idols of our neighbors. And so Joshua says to the people, I love this, choose for yourselves this day. Make a choice. You, you You have responsibility here. We can't just chalk all things away to God's sovereignty. And, I'm, you know, it's whatever he works out. You are accountable for your life. You're accountable for your choices. Your choices matter. Choose for this day whom you're going to serve. Hello, Joshua goes, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to choose. Uh, another kind of complimentary scripture to this is another moment in history with Elijah, where he's about to go toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal. And he's about to kind of have this, like, this, this battle of the altars moment with their God, uh, an attempt for, for, for whose God can bring down fire upon the altar. And before this moment where Elijah proves clearly, beyond a shadow of the doubt, that God is the one true living God, the God of their fathers, he says this to the people. He says, how long will you falter between two opinions? I love this verse. If the Lord is God, like if that's true, follow him. But if he's not, and Baal is God, Follow him. So so he he puts the people in a position where he goes, hey, like, here's the truth. Think about it. And what? Make a choice. C.S. Lewis famously said, if Christianity is not true, it's of no importance. I mean, if if this isn't true, we're wasting our time. Could be getting in line for brunch right now, right? If Christianity is not true, C.S. Lewis says, it's it's of no importance. If the Christian faith is true, if God is the Lord, then it is of great importance. The only thing it cannot be, C.S. Lewis says, is mildly important. Either God is the Lord and we follow him, either Jesus is alive and it's true or he's not. Make a choice. Who will you serve? Are you choosing 
the Lord. You know, this really is the question of Scripture for humanity. This is the question from God to you this morning. What are you going to choose? What are you going to do with your will? There's a lot of talk about God's will. That's very important. C.S. Lewis also said, at the end of time, though, there's really two kinds of people. People that said, God, thy will be done. And then there's people to whom God said, thy will be done. There's people that say, God, I want your will in my life. I surrender to you in your plans. I choose you. At the end of time, there's either that person or the person that, say, that God says to them, okay, have your will. Have your way. Moses is a great example of choosing God. That's what we have here in this passage. Again, the title, By Faith, Moses Chose God. He models what it looks like to use our will to serve the truth of God, to choose the Lord in everyday situations. Now, there's so many different ways to choose God. Like, there's, you could do a thousand-point sermon on how to choose God. Um, even this morning, just coming in this room, in some way, you have, whether consciously or subconsciously, you made a choice for God today. You chose to come to church. Wake up to enter this place. Maybe you took it a step further and you chose to raise your hands and worship despite how you felt. You chose God. We, we choose God when we seek to, to spend time with Him, when we maybe don't feel like it or retired or we don't want to wake up. We choose Him in those moments. We choose God when temptation comes our way. There's so many ways in life to choose God. Uh, here with Moses, we have three ways, three examples. Not the three ways, but three ways that Moses models choosing God. God. What an incredible figure of history to study for this. Because Moses was a man that had the world at his fingertips. And if anyone had choices, especially as someone who belonged to God, it was Moses. We saw last week his mom's faith in saving his life at that time. You have the first sort of signs of anti-Semitism rising up in the hearts of the Egyptian people, in Pharaoh being intimidated by the fact that Israel is multiplying, multiplying, they are being fruitful, and they are multiplying, they're filling the earth, and the king goes, oh no, this is not looking good for us, because if the, the nation gets so big that they see that of themselves, they might join our enemies and fight against us. Now, Israel was in Egypt at the time for their own survival because of a famine, so, so the way that the king seeks to subdue and sort of control that population and that people group is to subject them to hard work and slavery. And to take matters further, he goes, we, we got to keep them from reproducing. Let's set a command throughout the entire nation requiring all families to kill their, their boys. Every, every, born, every child that's born that's a male, this whole idea of terminating Infant life is not a new thing. This is something that goes back to the very beginning of time. This is what the enemy was always seeking to do, destroy the life that God's creating. But the faith of Moses' mom is incredible. She goes, you're not touching my kid. So she does everything to protect him. Doesn't fear the king, fears God. Protects and preserves his life. Even makes him his own little, you know, there's Noah's Ark. Not a lot of people know about Jacobed's Ark, all right? She makes this little ark for him. There's no animals. There's just little baby Moses in it. And he sends them whitewater rafting, right? Sends them down the river. It's crazy what happens. Her faith is rewarded because the daughter of Pharaoh, who sends out that command for all the firstborns of Israel, or rather all the maleborns of Israel to be killed, she finds Moses in the river. This is Pharaoh's daughter. The Bible says she has compassion on the child. 
Looking on was Moses' sister watching this stuff happen. She's going, what's going to happen to my baby brother? She sees Moses' daughter grab the baby. And she goes near and she says, do you want me to call one of the Hebrew nurses? This is genius. To take care of him for you? She goes, sure. So Moses goes back to his mom. His life is spared. Moses' mom raises him for five years at home. And I just want to kind of put your mind in her moment, especially if you're a mom. Imagine that five-year-old moment where you go, now's the time where I need to hand you back over to Pharaoh's daughter. You're going to become her adopted son. You're going to be Pharaoh's adopted grandson. That's who Moses was. It's wild. And Moses is in that context, and his life as he grows up is filled with choices. Every day he faces, is it God or is it something else? And here's what Scripture tells us about Moses. A couple key things about what he chose about God. Write this first thing down. The Bible tells us here in Hebrews 11 that Moses first, what an interesting thing that he chose. He chose to endure the suffering of God. The first thing that Moses chose was to endure the suffering of God. Can you put those verses up for us, Mike? Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, notice this, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now, what an incredible choice that Moses makes. I want you to think about this for a second. You have two options. Suffering or pleasure. I mean, we face that each each and every day to some degree. right, am I going to get out of bed? (laughs) Or am I going to enjoy this moment? Okay, my pillow is nice, right? Think about that, though. Moses is faced with two options. He can enjoy the pleasures, the riches that are at his fingertips. He can give in to the passing pleasure of sin. He can experience pleasure or he can experience suffering. And Scripture says that Moses chooses to endure suffering. It's such an interesting idea. As Moses is raised in this household... You know, Scripture teaches and gives this picture of Egypt. It represents the world in in Scripture. It's this picture of the system of the kingdom of this world. Uh, I want you to think of Lucifer trying to tempt Jesus or attempting to tempt Jesus by showing him the kingdoms and the glory of this world and saying, all of this could be yours. When the Bible talks about the world, okay, don't just think like fast cars and money, all right? Think about a system that has a prince to it, a demonic prince that's influencing the thoughts, the ideas. It involves temptation. It involves a life that is anti-God, a life that is in opposition to God. That's the context that Moses is raised in, the world. And, and as a Hebrew raised in that context, he is every day faced with these temptations to conform. To, you know what? Don't be who God made you to be. Don't follow what God says about your life, but put on the, the cloak of the world. Be worldly. Conform to this pattern. Give in to all the the riches that come your way. It's secular humanism in an ancient context. But what an incredible thing with Moses' faith. He's faced with that choice. And the first thing he does is, I love this, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't that interesting? He comes to an age where he goes, I could play the part. I could 
wear the, 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 the cloak. I could uh, kind of buy into the scene and get all the treasures that are coming my way. But I'm not going to abandon who God's called me to be. I'm going to refuse. This is huge. I'm going to refuse the, the identity that the world is trying to give me. I'm going to refuse that. Now, maybe some of you are here today and you go, I, I haven't refused that. Maybe you're today dressed head to toe in this worldly identity, whether it's business, whether it's pleasure, whether it's some form of sin or rebellion, whatever it may be. Maybe you're here today and you go, I haven't chosen that. That's the, the choice that Moses has here. And he refuses to buy into that identity. Instead, notice this, he chooses rather, instead of pleasure, I think I'll suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. In, in Moses' mind, and in his estimation, I want you to think about this. Moses said this, I'd rather be accepted by God and rejected by man and suffer than reject God to be accepted by man. I'd rather do that. Rather than reject God and take on this worldly identity to be accepted, to fit in, to be a part of the crowd, Moses says, I'm rejecting that identity and I'd much rather suffer and be accepted by God. You see, Moses had this perspective of God, of God's riches, of God's blessings on his life. It says that he, he didn't give into, I love this, the passing pleasures of sin. What, what a great description of, of sin, okay? You know, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement here, first and foremost, that there is pleasure to sin. You know, if sin wasn't pleasurable, it wouldn't be popular, right? But it is pleasurable. It is, it is in a sense, gratifying. That's why it's so popular. But notice this, it's the passing pleasure. That's what Moses saw. Moses saw, despite the temptation, what, what he was getting in that moment wasn't going to give him what he eternally needed in a relationship with God. There's passing pleasures to it. You know, a, a, an application of this for us today as Christians comes from 1 John 2, where the Bible says to Christians who, we're not living in Egypt exactly, but we are living in a type of Egypt, a system of the world. And, and the Bible says this in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It goes on to say, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. These are the contents of what we're facing each and every day with temptation, with sin. It's what the world is calling us into. And it's, by the way, it's been the same three things from the very beginning. Uh, any kind of like great moment of temptation in the Bible, whether it's Jesus in Matthew 4, whether it's Adam and Eve facing the tree of temptation in the Garden of Eden, each of them in the, the, the narrative, as it describes, they're tempted with these three things, right? You have what the world offers us, the lust of the flesh, what we'll call this passion, an experience, a feeling. You have the lust of the eyes, that's possession. Let me get a hold of that. If I could just have that, then I'll be satisfied. And what you find with that is, is you grab a hold of it, and it's like trying to grasp a handful of, of vapor, of wind. There's just always a need for more. I remember when I got my iPhone 3GS. Siri, hey, nice to meet you, okay? It was like, I've, I've reached the top. Now if you have that, it's like, what are you possessing there, okay? Passion, possession, and then there's this position, the pride of life. 
That's what the world is dangling before us each and every day. No, turn from God. Reject God. Don't suffer the flesh. Don't, 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 don't be rejected. Be accepted. Give into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But as Moses acknowledged, the verse goes on to say, but the world is passing away. This is all temporary. What are we doing wasting our time on things that are, that are, that are temporary when we have eternal things available to us? And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So, so this is what we have with Moses, this incredible example of someone who by faith, when he became of age, there he is in the, in the context of Egypt, and he chooses, here's the choice he makes, when it's either rejecting God and giving in to pleasure, or it's being accepted by God and choosing God at the expense of suffering, Moses chooses to suffer, to endure suffering. Now, what would enable someone to do that? That would be my question. Like, because I, I'm trying to get there. Like, every day, you and I, we both face the choices. Today, you'll face a choice, spiritually speaking, to either engage in the passing pleasure of sin, whatever form that takes, or you'll have an opportunity to suffer, right? Um, you're you're going to suffer the loss of it. You're going, to, you're going to sacrifice what you want now for what you want later, what you ultimately want in God. So what enables someone like Moses to choose suffering when pleasure is the option? And I, wanted you, I want you to see, it's where he fixed his eyes, and it's, and it's the, the form of currency that he lived with. It says that he did this because he saw the reproach of Christ. Notice this, greater riches than the treasure in Egypt. This is huge. For he looked to the reward. This is where his eyes were. This is so big. The way that you choose to endure suffering for a moment instead of giving to sin for the moment is when you set your eyes on what's eternal and what's permanent. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.8. He says, Yet indeed, I count all things loss. I suffer the loss of all things for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. This is such an important principle, especially for us to kind of get around the heart of God. You know, whenever God is calling you out of a system in the world, he's not trying to be annoying. He's not trying to make your life harder and miserable. He, does, he doesn't just love rules. Like, I love rules. More rules. No, that's not the heart of God in Scripture at all. Anytime God is calling us to suffer the loss of one thing, it's because he has something better in mind. He's a father. He's got a good heart. Like with my kids, there's things that they want all the time, and they see me as like this dictator. Like, no, Penny, you cannot drive my truck around the neighborhood, okay? Okay. Why not? It's like, you're so, you have so many rules, Dad. It's like, okay, you know. I have your life in mind, okay? And everyone else's, for that matter. But, you know, think about that. This is the heart of God. He's not saying, avoid that temptation. Choose me by the power of my spirit. Reject the identity of this world because I want you to be a good rule keeper. He's saying, because I have so much more for you. I have true riches that don't fade away. The riches of my love filling your life. The riches of my peace filling your life. The things I want to do in and through you. Think about who Moses came. Think about Moses' choice here. We know God's sovereignty is at work here, but if we kind of go back to the other side and remember that Moses has the capacity to choose, imagine if Moses didn't choose. 
to follow the Lord. And, I mean, look what God did with his life. Begin to see that. When you have an option, when you have an opportunity to either enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, to sort of take on the cloak and identity of the world, remember, if it's either that or choosing, like Moses, the suffering of God, remember that there's greater riches that are calling us to that decision. The second thing, notice this, Moses also chose, this is really big, Moses chose to envision the sovereignty of God. So, so Moses chose to endure the suffering of God when he had every earthly pleasure at his fingertips because he saw a greater currency in what God had for him. He, he saw walking with Jesus as the highest reward, walking with God as the highest reward that drew him to turn from sin. But the scriptures go on to say, as Moses grows up, we see him in an authoritarian context in Egypt. There's a sovereignty there. His name is Pharaoh. As Moses is growing up in that context, and as he turns away from this false worldly identity, Moses has some choices to make about what sovereignty he's going to serve. What king, what authority, what master is he going to bow his knee to? Now, the problem with this is if you don't bow your knee to Pharaoh, there's consequences. If you don't do what the authority is asking, they will wield their power against you and take you out. So there's a lot to, to fear here. But the scriptures say about Moses that he forsook Egypt, there in verse 27, not fearing the wrath of the king. And here's why. He endured, he forsook Egypt because he saw him, I love this, he saw him who was invisible. Now, how do you do that, by the way? How do you see that which is invisible? How can you visualize what can't be visualized? And clearly, the, the idea there is by faith. By faith... This is so amazing. Moses didn't fear the authority of Pharaoh, and here's why. Because he feared a higher authority. This is really big. Let me ask you this morning, whose authority, whose sovereignty are you seeing? Which sovereignty has your focus? Is it the sovereignty of yourself as the Lord of your own life? Is it the sovereignty of the government? Or is it the sovereignty of God? Moses saw him who was invisible. Uh, an incredible principle here. I want you to see it again. His eyes were on the sovereignty of God. That's what enabled him to not be afraid. Because when, when, when a, you know, a lesser authority comes to you, it's kind of like you have the higher authority. Like, I don't care. You're just a, you work, you're lower. That's the higher authority. I'm going to acknowledge him. I'm going to serve him. I don't fear the lesser authority. I fear the higher authority who's over every authority. Now, can that be said of you? Are you someone whose eyes are fixed on the sovereignty of God? This is a really practical thing for us as Christians, especially when it comes to the different things in life we would fear. Maybe for you it's not Pharaoh. Maybe the thing you're fearing is circumstance. Maybe the thing you're fearing is consequence. Maybe the thing you're fearing is the future. You're afraid. You're fearing the results of the thing you're praying for. You're fearing... How is this year going to turn out? How, you know, I don't know about you. I saw a, a pretty funny meme the other day, and it was like, everyone's awfully quiet about 20, you know, 22 being their best year ever. I think 2020 and 2021 shook us up a little bit. Like, not a lot of 2022. That's my year. Everyone's like, it's probably, yeah, it's probably not going to be. Based, based on the last two years, it's like, might just be a continuation. 
That's the mantra for 2022. Not my year. Um, but maybe as, as, as much as we laugh at that, maybe you are someone who today, if you're honest, you've been gripped by fear. You've experienced so much uncertainty. Maybe you've experienced loss outside of your control. Maybe you've experienced trials, disease, sickness, all sorts of things. Here's the question. Whose sovereignty are you fixed on? What are you seeing? Who's in charge? What authority is there? Moses didn't fear because he didn't look at the world around him. He looked at the God who was over the world. He looked at the king of all kings. He didn't fear the wrath of the king because he saw him who was invisible. You know, scripture calls us to do the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, 1 and 2. It says, if then you were raised with Christ. If through the resurrection of Jesus, you have been resurrected. You are alive from the death of your sin. You're alive in Christ. Here's the exhortation. Put your effort towards seeking those things which are above. If you check, check your phone and your stream and your news source before you open your Bible in the morning, you need to learn to seek those things which are above and not the things which are here. Like, I get why you're afraid and why I tend to be afraid. I mean, look, it's scary. It's scary looking at the events of life, looking at the events of the world. It's scary to walk through life. Life is, in a lot of ways, it's got a lot of great light moments. And I mean like actual illuminating light. But there's also the valley of the shadow of death. There's shadows that we're navigating. Difficult shadows of life. And I, and I can't change those things that happen to me, but I can change what I focus on. I can Take responsibility for where I focus. So fix your eyes, set your mind, seek those things where Christ is. I love this, sitting at the right hand of God. So it says, envision the sovereignty of Jesus ruling and reigning over all of creation. That's what he says to do. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on this earth. This is where your peace comes from. This is what happened with Moses. You know, and this, was, this wasn't just a Moses thing. Like This was the early church thing. The book of Revelation has... Um, come to be a lot of things, uh, a left-behind movie. Um, and you could fill in the blank, all sorts of things. There's so many apocalyptic films out there kind of in the, the flow of Revelation. But the book of Revelation initially, one of the main purposes of that book was to encourage Christians that were surrounded by a lot of reasons to fear. They were going through persecution. They were facing hardship on every side. They were having their family murdered before their eyes for faith. And when you read the book of Revelation, what you have is you have this constant vision of Jesus. In the midst of all of hell breaking loose on earth, Revelation causes those Christians to lift their eyes and see Jesus enthroned in heaven. And that focus is to affect then how they navigate what's on earth. You know, as Christians, we don't have a down-up view of the world. We have an up-down. We have a top-down perspective. That's the filter through which we run everything. Jesus seated at the right hand of God, the sovereignty of God. And this is Moses. Moses chose, in the face of his fear, to envision the sovereignty of God over what he was walking through. You know, when you do this, when you set your sights on the sovereignty of God, when you see the sovereignty of Jesus, even over your life right now, whatever hell may be breaking loose in you, around you, you can see a few things. You're reminded first that God is faithfully aware of what you're going through. He's not absent from his seat because he had to go do something. 
you know, with like a, I went out to, you know, the little signs, close, be back for lunch. There's not, there's not one of those on the throne of Jesus. Aren't you glad? He is enthroned even right now. He has not lost his control of your life. He is aware of you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you're sitting down. He knows you're rising up. You were knit together even in your mother's womb. Before you were born, the Bible says he knew you. He's aware of you. He's aware of what you're going through. You might feel lonely. You might not be able to see God, but you're not alone. And God sees you. He sees you. Remember that. I can't see you, God. Sometimes that's how it is, but here's the good news. You can see him who's invisible when you remember this. You see me. You're aware. When no one else is aware, when you're like trying to help people, you ever try to do that? Trying to make them aware, and it's just like not working? God's aware. He's sovereign. When you see him as sovereign, you see that he's faithfully aware. When you see him as sovereign, you see that he's also faithfully at work. He, he's not, he, he doesn't sit upon the throne, you know, because he doesn't have any work to do. Like most of us, like when we sit, unless we're at work behind the computer, right? I get that. But for the most time, like most of the time when I'm sitting, it's like I'm resting. I'm, but, but that's not the picture of the throne. The, the throne was, is, is a place, even throughout history, where the king is working from. It's not a place of rest. It's a place of authority and rule. And the, and the king, this is what's so powerful about kingly authority, is the king doesn't have to get up from his throne to do the work because he works through his word. He sits on the throne and he speaks and it's done and he works through the sovereignty of his throne. He gets reports and he responds. And this is the picture we get of Jesus in scripture. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's not passive. He hasn't slowed down. He hasn't lost control. It's not like he's like, I don't know how to turn this one out. Uh Uh-oh. Hopefully it works out. No, that's not the message of Scripture. The message of Scripture is that we know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God, because God is faithfully at work and seated on his throne. Sovereign. Sovereign over our lives. I see when, God, when I see God as sovereign, I see him as faithfully aware. I see him faithfully at work. And I also see him faithfully ahead. This is huge. You know, it's kind of the classic idea of like, if it's not the end, it's, it's not the end. There's time. There's a hopeful future when I see God seated on the throne. And that was, again, the encouragement of Revelation to these Christians that were just struggling to keep going. It was like, we'll see Jesus on the throne. He always has been ruling. He is ruling and he always will be ruling with Jesus, despite how things look, as bleak as they may. His faithfulness, his sovereignty is ahead as Christians. You know, remember, you have a hopeful future. You have a hopeful future. As dark as the days may be, you have a hopeful future in Jesus. This is Moses. What a great example. He chooses to endure the suffering of God. Moses chooses to, instead of focus on the circumstances and the things he could fear around him, he chose to envision in his mind's eye the sovereignty of God, and by faith to see God who was invisible. We're called to to set our mind on things above. And lastly, I love this last one. Moses chose to embrace the salvation of God. He chose to embrace the salvation of God. I'll invite the the band to start making their way up here. and This is where we're going to close reflecting on the salvation of God. But you know the story of Moses. Hopefully you've seen Prince of Egypt. Make it a holiday movie for you. It's, yeah, it could fit in the Christmas 
flow, I think. Jesse tree, you know, you could put it in there. But um, when you read the story and you see the story of Moses, you have this young man who's raised to know the Lord because he, he refuses to identify with the world. He doesn't fear the wrath of the king, but he fears the Lord. He forsakes Egypt. And you know that the famous ten plagues of Moses, as, as God is using Moses to deliver his people as their cries came up before him and God's heart breaks, he sends Moses to, to represent God to Pharaoh. Let my people go. You know the whole deal. It's multiple plagues. The last of those plagues, the tenth plague, the final and worst plague, is the plague of the angel of death that is going to come in judgment upon all the firstborns. We see kind of this theme where Egypt's like, I'm going to, or, or sorry, Pharaoh is like, let's kill all the firstborn or all the born males of Israel. And he tries to really, literally wipe out God's people. And now we see the Lord, in a sense, coming for the firstborns of Egypt in righteous judgment. God gives special instructions to Israel. Read Exodus 12. You can see the, the long details of what they are to do with the Passover lamb. Um, judgment is going to come. The angel of, let me imagine that night. What a terrifying night. There's an angel of death coming into the neighborhood tonight. It's like Santa's next week. This week, it's the angel of death, and he doesn't have a sleigh and reindeer, okay? And there's an angel of death coming to kill all and take the life of all the firstborn. How do we preserve the life of our children? Where God says, well, it's, it's my blood. It, it's, it's the shedding of blood that's going to preserve and protect and shield you. And so God instructs Israel with that Passover lamb that they've raised in the home, that they've kept near, to take the blood of that lamb, to put it on the top of the doorpost, on the side of the doorpost. It's almost a picture of a cross. When the angel of death comes to your home, if the blood is applied, the angel will pass over. And the Bible says about Moses that by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So what God says is, I'm a savior, I'm going to save, but I'm the one who saves. And so what a great display of Moses' faith. Moses, in light of this, chooses to embrace the salvation of God. Instead of trusting in himself, you know, and at the end of the day, too, it wasn't even how much faith they had. How much faith do you have in the blood outside the doorposts? You know? The question isn't how much faith, it's has the blood been applied? You can have great faith in the cross. You can have little faith in the cross. Tim Keller says, it's not the strength of your faith that saves you, it's the object of your faith. It's what you're trusting in. And Moses chose to embrace the salvation of God. I want to ask you this morning, what's your hope of salvation? What salvation are you embracing? Have you potentially gotten distracted from the cross, the hope of your salvation? The Bible says about Jesus that he is the Passover lamb, right? Jesus, John the Baptist, sees him coming and says, Behold, here's the Passover lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because of our sin, the wages of our sin, it is death. We deserve death as a consequence there's no merit in me that would cause the angel of death to pass over me. 
But Jesus goes to the cross, and as a Passover lamb, he becomes sin for you and I. So that the angel of death passes right over, the blood is applied, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, and we become, through our faith, we become the righteousness of God in him. Our identity is no longer based on our performance, our behavior, how good we are, how bad we are. Here's a big one. Your identity now isn't even your own choices. Are you haunted by some choices? Those choices may have affected the course of your life, but those choices are not what determine your standing before God. Your choices have nothing to do with the choice that Jesus made. This is where our focus is to be. Moses embraced this. He didn't hope in himself. He didn't hope in his good merit. He hoped in the blood. That's where my hope of salvation is. My hope is in the fact that at the end of the day, Jesus made a choice. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay my life down that I may take it again. I love this. Jesus said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. You know, what the Bible teaches at the end of the day is that every man, every woman, has failed to choose God. The Bible says that all have sinned, all have rejected God. We, we have all chose to go our own way instead. That's the story of our lives. That's the story of history. From Adam and Eve to you and me. We choose to be our own God. We choose to do things our own way. And the results of that choice is separation from God. It's death. The good news of the gospel, the good news, here's what the Christian faith is about. The Christian faith is not about a bunch of righteous people trying to make all the right choices. The Christian faith is about a God who didn't have to, but because of love, he was compelled to send his son Jesus to save us. Jesus here, he says, no one's taken my life. It's my love for you that provokes me to lay it down. We're saved by his choice to go to the cross. He's a, he's a greater than Moses. <laughs> Jesus could have had everything and anything in this world, and instead he chose to identify with who he was in God as the Messiah. Jesus, of course, didn't fear any man coming his way. Even in the face of his biggest fear of going to the cross, he said, not my will, your will be done. And Jesus is the Passover lamb that's died for you. And, and I'm not sure where you're at today in your faith. And Listen, I know there's a, for a lot of us, there's a long way to go, but can I just give you one step this morning? One step of faith that you could take this morning is turning away from yourself as your own savior. It's turning to the only true and real hope that you have for eternity, which is trusting in Jesus and his blood. Listen, you and I, we're sinners, but Jesus is a savior. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. You don't have to fear the angel of death is going to take. You see, Jesus took death on himself for our, our behalf. And so